You pray with me. We do praise and glorify you, holy God. We praise and glorify you, loving Father. We praise and glorify you, Lord Jesus Christ. We praise and glorify you, Holy Spirit. All praise be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now we say, show us your glory. Today we pray, this morning, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, open our, open our souls. Open us to your glory, we pray. May we need, need and see more of your fullness today in our lives. Help us, we pray. Without your spirit, we can do nothing. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Hear God's word from John 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here uh, on this third Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season in which we wait. We are looking back, remembering the Israelites who waited for many, many thousands of years for the Messiah, the promised Messiah to come. We also look forward with all God's people to wait for the day when that same Messiah King will come again to renew all things. And so in this season of Advent and Christmas, we're in this series that we're calling Dwell. What we're doing is we're trying to do a deep dive into one single verse, arguably one of the most potent verses in all of the New Testament, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what we're doing is we're taking that amazing verse, phrase by phrase, going deep into it, so as much as is humanly possible to comprehend the mystery of the incarnation, this great truth that Christians celebrate and believe in at Christmas time, that in this child born to Mary, Jesus, God became flesh. So that's what we're doing. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the first phrase, the word became flesh. Uh, Last week, we looked at that second phrase in the verse, he made his dwelling among us. And today we come to the third phrase, we have seen his glory. So here's my theme today, okay? Listen up. Here's my theme. To see Jesus is to see God as he actually is. And not only that, it is to experience his transforming power in your everyday life. I will say that again. Here's my theme, friends. Listen up. To see Jesus, not only do you see God as he actually is, but you can experience his transforming power in your everyday life. And I want to look at that theme today under three headings. The first we're going to look at is the problem of glory. The Bible says there's a problem when it comes to God's glory. Let's talk about that. Second, we're going to look at the gift of God's glory, how this problem is resolved. And then third, we're going to look at how do we actually see this glory of God in our everyday lives today. Okay? You with me? Hello, church? You out there? Okay. So first, let's talk about the problem of glory. When, this is a funny phrase. We have seen his glory. What does John mean by that? When John says we've seen his glory, he's using glory to refer to 
the essence or the fullness of something, the splendor or the brightness of something. That's to see someone or something's glory is to see it in its fullness, to see it as it was meant to be seen. We actually use this phrase all the time. We say, you know, there he is in full glory. You know, there, there he is in the fullness of who he is. We sometimes would say, for instance, uh, this is an image from National Geographic uh, this year, and this is a beautiful landscape of creation. You know, we might say looking at an image like this that it is creation in its full glory and its beauty, its majesty. We might say this of something in creation. This, this was actually the winner of the National Audubon Society Bird Photography Award this year. It's a snow goose. When you look at this animal, you see it in this photograph in its full glory. You could say this of a human being. When we see a human, a man or a woman, express him or herself in glorious strength, in triumph over some great obstacle, we're, we're, we say we see that human being in their full glory. You could say this of a work of art or a piece of architecture that looking at these creations is actually to see human creativity in its full glory. You could even say this of a donut. You know, when you, when you go to country style donuts on East Laburnum Road and you eat a hot buttermilk donut, you are experiencing a donut in its full glory. You know, can I get an amen to that? friends. Yeah, I'm sorry, Sugar Shack. You just don't have what it takes. <laughs> glory, glory is what we, glory is what we thirst for as human beings. Glory is what we're after. This is why we cry at the Olympics. This is why we cheer from our living rooms when somebody triumphs an American Idol. You know, this is why we spend lots of money to go and travel faraway places to see something beautiful because as human beings, we thirst for glory. We long for it. We want it. We need Glory. Now, if that's true for mountains and peacocks and donuts, how much more is it true for God? If God is out there, and a lot of you believe that he is, don't you realize that what you want is to see God in his glory, to see him in his fullness? This is what the Bible says that you were made for, not just to kind of piddle around in religion and go to church occasionally, but to actually see and experience God in his glory, to see him as he is. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful essay that you can get online. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Everybody should read it. It's called The Weight of Glory. And in this essay, Lewis says that God's glory is what you're actually after when you go after the glory of created things. So he writes this. Listen, the books or the music or the art in which we thought the glory was located will betray us if we trust to them. Listen, it was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things the beauty, the art, the music, the books, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. And then he says this amazing thing. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Have you had that experience? Where like you taste glory. You have an amazing experience, an amazing vacation. An amazing night with a friend, a, a phenomenal meal, whatever. You, you taste glory, but it leaves you wanting. You're like Bono. You know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It leaves you thirsting, longing. And Lewis says that what you are actually longing for is the glory behind the glory, not the glory of the created thing, but the glory of God himself. That's what we were made for, to see God, 
to see his glory. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. And the problem is, is you can't. You can't see God's glory. While you can see the glory of a peacock or a penguin or petunia, you cannot see the glory of God. Why not? Well, to understand why not, you really have to read and understand the Old Testament. Because if you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll see that when God's glory shows up in the Old Testament, it is not necessarily a happy thing. Uh, It is often a scary thing. So, for example, when God's glory shows up in a pillar of fire to the Israelites, they're terrified, and they ask Moses to keep it away. When in the dedication of the temple to Solomon, God's glory shows up in this numinous cloud descending on the temple, and all the people fall on their faces, and they can't get up off the floor. That's God's glory. When God's glory appears to Job in a tornado hurricane thing, That shuts Job up real quick. It's God's glory. And perhaps one of the most fascinating and famous incidents is in Exodus 33, where Moses asks to see God's glory. He's on the mountain, and he says in Exodus 33, verse 20, now show me your glory. And do you remember what God says in response? No one may see my glory and live. In other words, you could see me in full glory, but you'd have to die. And that's a problem, don't you think? It's a a problem that the one that we were made for, that the the true glory that we thirst for, the glory behind the glory, the glory that all of us want most and we're actually made for is the one thing that we can't have. As we sing in the hymn, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. Think about trying to look at the glory of the sun you know, that fiery ball in the sky. <laughs> people, you can't look at the glory of the sun without destroying your eyes, as some people discovered foolishly a few months ago by trying to look at the eclipse without the, a filter, a barrier of some kind. God is a trillion suns. He is like the searing white heat of a steel furnace. We are too small, too frail, too sinful, too different. He is too holy, too pure, too righteous, too other, too beyond us. We can no more see God's glory than a gnat can embrace a flame or a child can hug a hurricane. Though the eye of sinful man, thy glory may not see. So that's the problem. This is a serious problem. And I would venture to say, and I I promise, I don't mean to be offensive by this, that this is the greatest problem of your life. I know that a lot of you have a lot of really, really big and overwhelming problems. If we went around and talked about them, they would be many and they would be overwhelming and they would be diverse. But I just want you to hear this. That what the Bible says is actually the biggest problem of your life is that though you were made by God and you were made like God, you were made for God and you were made to be with God and you were made to see and experience his glory, that is the one thing that you were cut off from forever. We're cut off from glory. So what do we do? What do we do about the problem of glory? What do we do about the fact that we thirst for it, we're made for it, yet we can't see it? Well, there's some bad news and good news. Which do you want to hear first? How about the bad news? The bad news is, is that you can't do anything about this problem. You're stuck. You can't see God's glory, and you can't figure out a way to get it. The good news is, though, is that the one, the only one who can do something about it has acted definitively, that God wants us to see his glory. He wants us to see it. 
You see it in the Old Testament when God does everything in his power to bend over backwards and get near to his people to give them a glimpse of his glory. This is what the fiery pillar was. This is what the cloud was. This is what the hurricane was. God is doing everything he can to give his people a glimpse of his glory, but it's only a glimpse. It's only a shadow. It's only a foretaste. It's only an appetizer. It's not the real thing. It's not the fullness of his glory, which is why it is so astonishing when John, a Jewish man, who knows the terror of the glory of God, writes this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. What Israel could not see in the fire, what Solomon could not see in the temple, what Job could not see in the tornado, John says, now in this little child born to Mary, God himself, the pure, unapproachable, inaccessible, invisible, untouchable God has become visible and knowable and near. And is there anything more approachable and accessible than a little baby. Did you see little Nellie? And how she just came to me? Just so open, so ready to be received. Even a toddler just runs away from you, but not not a little baby. This This is the degree to which God is going to say, I want you to see my glory. The hurricane has become a child. The fire has become an infant. The inapproachable becomes accessible. The invisible becomes visible. The immortal, mortal, the ideal has become real. Something, someone that you can know and touch and see. We've seen his glory. Friends, I know that a lot of you have heard this before. I know a lot of y'all have heard me say this before. But please, would you, would you not get bored by this? Please, would you not become numb to this? Do you know if Moses was here today? He would be going crazy. He'd be saying, do you all realize what you have? Do you realize that you have now received what I was denied on the mountain? You see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. We sing in the hymn, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. To see Jesus is to see the glory of God. Friends, this is one of the most staggering truths of the incarnation, that we were made to see God, yet we cannot see God, yet the gift of the incarnation is that God has made himself visible to us, concretely in history, in the person of Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory. That's the gift of glory. Okay, so that was the first two points. Did you, did you, did you hear it? As you see, the problem of glory is that you were made for it, yet you can't have it. And the gift of glory is that though you could do nothing about it, God has given his glory to you in the person of Jesus Christ. So, but what does that mean for us today? That's our third point. How do you see his glory in your everyday life? Okay, so I just want to talk about two application points here about how we see and what we see in the glory of God. The first is this, is that in seeing Jesus, you see God as he actually is. In seeing Jesus, you see God as he actually is. Who or what is God? That is a really hard question, isn't it? It's re- I mean, that, you really think about that question, it really starts to hurt your brain. Who or what is God? You know, I saw The Last Jedi yesterday. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for you. Luke is Leia's brother, though. I did find that out. Um, but the force is talked a lot about in this film. And I think the way that a lot of people think about God is the way that the force is often portrayed in the film. I know this should be true because some of my friends who are not Christians have told this to me, that this ubiquitous, 
invisible energy that's sort of around and within everything, yet is very difficult to explain, very difficult to describe, and very certainly difficult to have any kind of relationship with. This is the way that most Americans, I think, think about God, someone like that, an abstraction. But what John is doing here, I think this is really interesting. He's encouraging you. He's saying, look, if you are wondering who or what God is, don't think about that. Don't think about abstractions. Don't even think about your big philosophical questions. Instead, start here. Start with this person. Start with this person, Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus the logos, the word. What do words do? They communicate what is within us. If I got up here in the pulpit and I just stood here, Amen. I mean, how ridiculous, right? If I don't speak, if I don't put words to what is within me and inside of me, you would ever never know me nor what I was thinking. And this is God. He says Jesus is the word. He is the one who communicates the fullness of who God is in his essence. Hebrews 1 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his being. When you give your fingerprints to someone, when you look at that print on the page, it is the exact contours of the fingerprint of your finger. So it is with Jesus. He is the exact imprint of the unseen God. It's not just that he resembles God or that he is like God, but to see Jesus is to see God as he actually is, God unfiltered, God with no barrier, God as he is in his fullness. You know, there's a, there's a story in um, the biography of T.F. Torrance. T.F. Torrance is a famous uh, British theologian in the 20th century. And Torrance was an army chaplain during World War II. And on one occasion, he was ministering to a dying soldier. And he was talking with this soldier, and the soldier was terrified of death. Specifically, he said, I, I don't know how to meet my maker, is what he said. And so what Torrance began to do is to describe Jesus to him. He began to describe the compassion and the tenderness and the mercy of Jesus. He began to describe that he's the shepherd of his lost sheep, that he's uh, the savior of sinners, and that he, he, he is quick to forgive all those who turn to him. He began to describe the person of Jesus to this young dying soldier. And the soldier looked up at Torrance with this amazed look in his eyes, and he says, Father, is God really like Jesus? And Torrance looked at him and he said, my brother, that is the only God we know. There is no God behind the back of Jesus. He has shown himself to us in the face of Jesus Christ. And he died right there in his arms. And Torrance later wrote this. I just think this is the most amazing quote. He says, there is in fact no God behind the back of Jesus. No act of God other than the act of Jesus. No God but the God we see and meet in him. Jesus Christ is the open heart of God the very love and life of God, poured out to redeem humanity. Jesus is the mighty hand and power of God, stretched out to heal and save sinners. And then he says this, all things are in God's hands, but the hands of God and the hands of Jesus in life and in death are the same. So friends, look, if you're looking for God, I know you have a lot of questions. I know you have questions about pain, about suffering, about hell, about other religions. I do too. That's hard stuff. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just... Begin here. Begin with this person. Dick Lucas, who was a famous pastor in London, tells the story about a guy he met that said, 
Pastor, I'd be glad to become a Christian. I really would. But I'm waiting for a watertight argument. And Dick said, look, if you wait for a watertight argument, you'll be waiting all your life. As far as I can tell, God has not given us one. But what God has given us is a watertight person. A person against whom there is no argument. A person in whom you can actually see the glory of God. That's what John is saying here. We have seen his glory. The ideal has become real. The one beyond us has come among us. In seeing him, you see God as he actually is. So if you're searching, see Jesus. Look at him. In seeing him, you see God. If you're suffering, as I know many of you are suffering, and you're wondering where God is in the midst of your suffering, if you are, see Jesus. See him in his compassion and mercy in his suffering alongside you. If you're doubting, if you're like me, you know, I admit this as your pastor, like I occasionally will go through really severe periods of doubt and struggle. I sometimes wonder what all this is about, what all this is for. I, you know, I, see, I look at the, the chaos and the horrors of the world and wonder, is, is, any, is there any hope? Is there, any, is there anyone out there to save us from ourselves? For people like me, for doubters, see Jesus, friends. See Jesus. See this one who manifests the very glory of God. There is no God behind the back of Jesus. In him, he is approachable, accessible, vulnerable, knowable, and he wants to be in your life. So that's our first point. I mean, our first application. In seeing Jesus, you see God as he actually is. But the second application is this. In seeing Jesus, you see what you can become. You know, I said earlier that what we're all thirsting for is glory. But here's the thing. We don't want to just see glory in mountains and athletes and animals We want to see glory in ourselves. You want to see glory in yourself. You want to be the fullness of who you were made to be. You want to change. I want to change. I want to to get rid of these issues in my life. I want to to be free of the banality and sameness. And I I want to become the man that I know that God has made me to be, that sometimes I'm just not. Sometimes I get sick of myself because I don't see the change that I want to see in my life. What do we do about this? How do we become the people that we know God has made us to be? How do we be our glory selves? How do we see ourselves in full glory? Well, amazingly, the incarnation is not just the way we see the glory of God in Jesus. It's also the way to see the glory of humanity in Jesus, to become the person that God wants you to be. Paul says this amazing thing in 2 Corinthians. He says this, I mean, it's almost even too mystical to explain. I will attempt to. He says, uh, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Let me try to illustrate this. You know, many of you know that I worked for three years for this um, very famous and well-known pastor, preacher, theologian, author named John Stott. And I will tell you, you know, you hear a lot of stories about these famous Christian leaders, but, you know, they're these big deals in public, and once you get to know them in private, they're not nearly the person that they portray themselves to be in public life. With Stott, it was just the opposite. I mean, when I got up close to him, when I saw him in his private life, when I spent, you know, days with him, I, I, it was like, is this for real? Is this man really this Christ-like? Is he really this humble? Is he really this compassionate of heart? And occasionally, Stoddard, I called him Uncle John, what he would do is he would invite uh, people, men, he would take men's weekends, men's retreats, and he would take a group of men away to his retreat house in Wales to spend the weekend with him. 
Um, and on one particular occasion, after such week, one weekend, the wife of one of these men called up our office and said, um, could we just go ahead and schedule all the rest of those retreat weekends for the next 10 to 20 years? <laughs> I said, excuse me? I mean, it turns out what she went on to say is that whenever her husband went away to spend time with Uncle John, he would go on one of these weekends, he would come back a, a better man. He would come back more patient, more loving, more gentle, more thoughtful, less harsh, less severe, less critical. And that's probably happened to you. If you've ever spent time with someone who's a lot more mature or a lot more Christ-like uh, or, or someone who um, maybe is just a little bit ways ahead of you in some way in the spiritual life and you see them and you gaze at them and you spend time with them, it begins to change you. You see how they treat people that they disagree with. You see how they handle high-pressure situations. You see how they carry themselves and express themselves. And what happens is as you gaze upon their glory, it begins to pass into you. You find yourself changing. And what Paul is saying here is that this is now what can happen to you as you gaze upon the glory of Jesus, that Jesus is not only the glory of God, he is the glory of humanity. He is the new Adam. And now he seeks to remake us in his image. And seeing Jesus, you see humanity in full glory. You know, there's a lot of bad examples of men in the news recently. Are there not? Powerful men using their power to indulge their lusts. That's the image of masculinity that we often get in America. Look at Jesus. Look, look at this new Adam. Look at this one, the most powerful one in the universe, using his power, voluntarily divesting himself of power, surrendering his power even unto death on the cross for the flourishing of the one that he loves. That is true masculinity, men. It is power surrendering itself for the sake of love. That is true humanity, women and men. It is power surrendering itself for the sake of love. In Jesus, we see the glory of humanity. We see tenderness without weakness. We see strength without coarseness, humility without servility, conviction without intolerance, enthusiasm without fanaticism, holiness without moralism, passion without prejudice. We see the glory of humanity in him. And Jesus now says, by beholding him and contemplating him, you will become like him. Remember our old friend Athanasius? This is what he wrote. He became like us so we can become like him. You want to change? You want to change? You can try to make some resolutions all day long. Good luck with that. Here's how you really change. You need the transforming power of Jesus and his glory in your life. So gaze at him. Contemplate him. Behold him, as Paul writes there. The word he uses there for behold him is, the, is sort of like an intense, prolonged gaze. Sort of like the way you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. You know what I'm talking about? Don't pretend like you don't do that. Look at yourself in the mirror. In fact, if you turned and looked at the person next to you right now and gazed in their face the way that you gaze at yourself in the mirror, they would get real uncomfortable in about five seconds. You know what I'm talking about? But Paul says, do that to Jesus. Gaze upon him. Behold him. Contemplate him. Take in his glory. We do this in worship when we're together. You can do this on your own, setting aside time. Go away with him the way Stock went away with those men. Set aside time to behold upon the glory of Jesus and welcome his spirit into your life. And as that happens, 
you will find yourself changing from one degree of glory to the next. The theologian Hans Kung was once asked why he was a Christian, and he answered, to become fully human. Because as we gaze upon him, we become like him. He became like us so that we can become like him. So friends, let me sum up. Being a Christian is not just about trying hard or turning over a new leaf or coming to church. It's really about glory. It's about getting the gift in Jesus Christ of what you could not get for yourself, the gift of the glory of God in your life. That's what being a Christian is. It is experiencing by grace this transformative relationship with God by seeing the glory of Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see first the glory of God, and we are invited to take that glory into our lives. And second, as we see Jesus, we see the glory of humanity. We're, become, we're invited by his spirit to become more and more like him so that we can become our glory selves. So as I close, uh, let me just leave with you a few challenges, a few specific challenges, okay? First of all, if you're not a Christian and you're here today or you're not even sure that you're a Christian, here's what I would suggest that you do. Just try this. Just try this for the next few weeks, maybe even just to the end of December. Try for a moment setting aside your big questions, setting aside your questions about, like, you know, other religions, sexuality, all those kind of questions that get us all torn up when we think about Christianity. Just try setting those aside just for a couple of weeks and just look at Jesus. Just try it. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe ask a friend who you know knows Jesus to read it with you and just see what happens. See what happens when you set aside your questions just for a moment. You can come back to the questions later. I'll help you with the questions when you come back. But just for a moment, set those questions aside and just gaze upon Jesus. Contemplate him. See what happens. Second, though, if you are a Christian, I want you to do something, too. I want you to ask for more glory, of God's glory in your life. You know, my own prayer life is often pretty sad. It's just kind of asking God for stuff, right? Like, help me here, provide this, help me with this, get me out of this. But, you know, when you look at the great saints of old and how they prayed, what did they ask for? They asked for glory. Moses said, show me your glory. Paul says, open the eyes of your heart so that you may know the height and length and depth and width of the love of Christ, that you may know his fullness, his glory in your life. See, these guys knew the secret to life, that to see and know God in all his fullness is actually to have the power to face anything. You know, glory etymologically means weight. And there's a lot of things that feel very weighty in your life. Your worries, your fears, your sorrows, your anxieties, these things feel very weighty to you. But as you experience more of God's glory and it becomes weightier to you, those other things become light. Imagine a, a piano on one side of scale and a penny on the other. As the glory of God, as his fullness and reality become weightier to you, other things in your life become much lighter. That's what Moses is asking for. That's what Paul is asking for. You can have everything you ever wanted and all your prayers answered and not see and know the glory of God and in the end have nothing. And you can have this, the glory of God, and in the end have nothing yet have everything. So practice this. Try it just for a week. The next seven days, every day, ask this of God. Show me your glory. Instead of asking for stuff, ask God for God. Show me your glory. See what happens. One last thing. Invite Jesus to change you through his glory. Y'all, you have issues. You have issues. I do too. Goodness, I have issues. And it is the spirit of Advent 
to ask God to come into the dark and nasty places of your soul and to make you new. That's why we say, O come, Emmanuel. I've lost my patience a lot in the last couple weeks. I've said some things that I wish I didn't say. And how am I going to become a more patient man? Is it just by like trying real hard to be a better man, to be a better dad, to be a better husband? No. It is by contemplating and beholding the glory of Jesus, by inviting the glory of Jesus and his spirit into my life so that as I gaze upon him, he will change me from one degree of glory to the next. But that requires that you get real, that you own up to your junk, that you be honest about your issues, that you be very uh, honest about the places of brokenness in your life and your heart and the sin and the temptations and the addictions in your life. And that you come clean, you own those things, and then you ask the glory of Jesus to enter in your life to make you new. He promises he will. He will change you from one degree of glory to the next. He will make you new. So here is the good news of the gift of the incarnation, friends. In Jesus Christ, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Let's pray. Just invite you for the next few moments just to ask God for his glory. Maybe uh, uh, confess or admit places of sin and darkness and sorrow, staleness, apathy, weariness. Admit those places in your soul to God and ask him to show you his glory in the face of Jesus. His tenderness, his mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness, his love, his compassion, his grace. Just ask him now, show me your glory. Father, we do pray now that you would show us more of your glory this Advent, this Christmas. We all admit to you the places of darkness and weariness and apathy and sin in our lives in which we need you to come. Thank you that the promise of the incarnation is to enter into our sin and our slavery, our sorrows and our pain, and to not just save us, but to actually make us new. And we know that happens through the glory of Jesus in our lives. So show us more of your glory, we pray. We pray for those in our community who are suffering and who are in great need to see your glory. Lord, we think of our sister Brenda, who is not even even able to be with us today in worship, Brenda Burgess, because of the cancer that is destroying her body. Oh, God, have mercy. May she see your glory today. May others who are suffering see your glory today, that they might have the power to face anything. And finally, God, we pray for our land, our city, our world. We long to see your glory in the broken and desolate places of the earth. Among those who are poor, those who are weary, those who are without a home, the refugees, all those who are cast down in violence and hunger. Oh God, show your glory. We long for that day when the glory of God 
will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Show us your glory, we pray. And so we sing together. Oh, come, let us adore him.